Well, it's good to welcome you again today to Grace Way Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson. This is for August 28th of 2022. We're studying the life of Daniel and we're looking at uh, his interaction with Nebuchadnezzar and how, <coughs> pardon me, Nebuchadnezzar is impacted by Daniel's life, Daniel's message, and actually with an encounter with God, with the power of God. And we're finally on to something that is kind of positive. We've kind of had some negative things the last couple of weeks, but this is uh, pretty exciting here because Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. Now, the reason I find that to be something that is, uh, well, encouraging, I guess we, we would say, and something that uh, makes me happy to think about, it's in Daniel 4, 34 through 37, and I'm reminded that we are told to pray for people who are in authority. Um, I get that from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And here's what Paul says, a command to us, the church. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, at last part, I tend to leave out, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, I think the King James says all who are in authority, why that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, this is a command. We're to pray for those who are in positions of authority and leadership. And it um, mentions in there several things that we are to uh, do. Uh, it says supplications and prayers and intercessions. And then you notice, because I mentioned it a while ago, thanksgivings. Now, let's stop and think about the fact that when Paul wrote that, there were no democracies. There were no republics like we have. They didn't choose their leaders. Their leaders were chosen for them, weren't they? And some of their leaders were horrible, especially in the day that Paul wrote this toward Christians. Think about having a, a leader like Nero. And then you have a letter from Paul saying, you're supposed to not only pray for this guy, but you are also supposed to give thanks for him. Uh, we don't really think like that as Americans, and I think that's to our detriment because we're disobedient to God. We have to remember that whether we like the person or whether the person in leadership is, I mean, they may genuinely be a bad person with bad ideas, bad policies, and yet the Bible says in Romans 13 that the powers that be are ordained of God. And so uh, to thank God for a president or a congressperson or a governor or a mayor or somebody on the city council or a school board or a judge or something like that, to give thanks for them is not meaning that I'm thankful for this evil. It means I'm thankful for the God who controls all of this and I'm thankful for his sovereignty in this issue and I'm trusting God to take care of even an evil ruler or an evil uh, magistrate. 
And that shows our faith. That shows our confidence in the Lord that he is the one who is really in control, not these people. And again, consider how difficult a command that would be if you were a Christian in the day of Paul living under a Roman emperor like Nero, for example. And yet the command still stands. Even the apostle Peter in his epistle, he said, honor all men. And then he also says that we are to fear God and honor the king. Well, again, who was the king in Peter's day? Who was the emperor in the day when Peter wrote that? They were not good people, and yet they were supposed to give them honor. And Paul goes on to say that we do this for all who are in high positions or positions of authority, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Even in the midst of dark days with bad leadership and people that are hostile to Christianity, we can pray, including that Thanksgiving part. Don't forget that. And we can lead a peaceful and quiet life and we can be godly and dignified in every way. We're not turning into a bunch of crazed, lunatic radicals. We're not called to do that. A godly and dignified life in every way. And he says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And that, of course, is what we want to do, and it's what Daniel did as we look through his life. And uh, it says, this is kind of uh, interesting and tricky, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And I think what we have to understand is what Paul has listed in there for people and for kings and all who are in authority, he desires, I think the best way to understand that, all kinds of people, all ranks of people, all stratas of people, all classes, maybe we would say, of people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the way that we relate to leaders shows our faith in God. Now, again, Daniel as we have mentioned several times before, did not ask to be in Babylon. Babylon was not a high achievement. Babylon and the position that he had there was not something that he went to school for, that he worked for, that he sent his resume in for. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Daniel's country, his native land, Judah. Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the temple of the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar took the uh, valuable pieces of furniture, the furnishings, out of the temple and took them to Babylon. And not only did he do that, which would have been bad enough to desecrate the temple and take those items that were made for his glory and for the use of worshipers to the temple in Babylon, then he takes the brightest and best of Judah, which included Daniel. So Daniel is there by force, not by choice. Daniel is a Jewish boy who loves God, working for a pagan king. And the king even changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, remember? And so Daniel has to learn the Babylonian ways, the Babylonian languages. He has to tolerate the Babylonian religions. He didn't have any choice about that. And he has to work for a very wicked pagan king. 
And yet you find that the way Daniel treats Nebuchadnezzar is with nothing but respect, with compassion, with care for him. And uh, this is highly, highly um, uh, exemplary of Daniel for us because we uh, may not like our leaders. We may not trust our leaders. We may not have voted for our leaders, but well, we can always be thankful that we don't have someone with uh, the control and the anger issues and all of that that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so uh, we ought to be mindful of all of this because God works through these situations. That's, that's one thing. We're required to do that. The other thing that comes to my mind is, let's go back in time and let's ask the people that are exiles from Judah like Daniel, people who know the true and living God and they love the true and the living God. And maybe they don't have a high position like Daniel did, but they are there in the Babylonian empire. And we ask them, who do you think is the most likely person? No, let's go back. Who is the most unlikely person in the empire, in the kingdom, to uh, turn from idols to trust the true and the living God? And don't you suppose that Nebuchadnezzar probably would have been at the top of the list? That you can imagine people saying, well, I know God can save anybody, and I know that people do convert and serve the true and the living God, but not him. I, I can't imagine a time or a place where Nebuchadnezzar would ever fear the true and the living God. Don't you imagine that would be true? Because that's kind of the way I feel about some of our people that serve, whether they serve as president. I I pray for Joe Biden and I pray for his salvation and the salvation of his family. In fact, I've even prayed for him and for people that are in Congress and for governors and mayors that God would actually be gracious and give them a Daniel, somebody that they would trust, somebody that would represent God well, somebody that would give them wisdom, and somebody that would influence them toward righteous things instead of toward the ungodly things. I also pray that maybe a Joseph, remember he was in the same situation, taken by force, serving in Potiphar's household, then going to prison for something he didn't do. And then he finds himself being the prime minister of Egypt, serving a pagan Pharaoh. And he does it with distinction and he does it with excellence in everything that he did. And uh, I pray that God would give our leaders a Daniel and a Joseph. I pray for them to have that, but I also pray for their souls. And If you were to ask me, do you think it's possible for some of the people that serve us to be saved? I would certainly pray for that, but I'm going to make an admission. I'm not sure I have just a ton of faith. Good thing the Lord Jesus said, we just need the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, because that's about all I can muster up whenever I pray for politicians like this to be saved. And yet... The story here of Nebuchadnezzar encourages me greatly. Why? Because he did. He turned from serving pagan idols to serving the true and the living God. Now, it was incremental. You'll notice that at first, 
you don't find any mention of God in Nebuchadnezzar's vocabulary or anything like that until Daniel interprets a dream that the wise men and the astrologers couldn't interpret. And then all of a sudden he acknowledges that the God of the Jews exists at least. And uh, throughout the stories that we've looked at, he sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire, and he notices that fourth man in the fire, and he is absolutely amazed. But he's not repentant, and he's not trusting in the God of, of the Jews, uh, not trusting in him exclusively, right? But then Daniel interprets a dream for him, as we have seen, and Nebuchadnezzar is like a big tree that's going to be chopped down. And then it is prophesied that he's going to live like an animal for seven years. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. Something absolutely happens here that is amazing. And if it can happen to Nebuchadnezzar, it can happen to anybody. And notice here that when Paul tells us to pray for he doesn't just say your king or a king over your country. Kings and all in authority. I think God has the world on his mind and he is calling us to pray for, I don't know, Vladimir Putin, the president of China, the North Korean dictator, all of them. And uh, we say, oh, well, those people will never get saved. Well, Nebuchadnezzar did. So let that encourage your heart. Here's point number one we're going to look at. Number one, his faith became personal. That's in 34, first part of the verse. <coughs> and at the end of the time, <coughs> excuse me, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. You see, before we find Nebuchadnezzar saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or the God of Daniel, or something like that. <coughs> now he makes it very, very personal. Okay, I, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, did this. This is just an amazing and yet a wonderful, wonderful thing. His understanding returned. He lifted his eyes to heaven. This is all by the grace of God, folks. And his reasoning returned, and he blessed the Most High. You know, when people get saved, they get a new mind. And when your mind gets right, you're going to understand there is a God. You're going to know him personally, and you're going to praise, and you're going to bless him. And so the Lord is the one who controlled the time of Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. Didn't last forever. Seven years was prediction, and seven years was what actually happened. And so it's the grace of God that causes him and forces him to look up to the true and the living God. And he's no longer like an unreasonable animal, just living by instincts and eating and, you know, all of that type of stuff that animals do. And his praise previously was for Daniel's God or one of many gods, but never to be Nebuchadnezzar's God. But that changes right here. Think about Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. 
But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer boasting like he was when he walked around Babylon at what he had done. Now he's looking up and giving praise to the Lord. It became personal, and so must it be in every life of a person who wants to know God. When you receive the gift of God and forgiveness of sins and justification and the gift of eternal life, it's no longer a God out there somewhere or the God of somebody else. He has become now your God, your victory, your Lord, your Savior, whatever you want to say. Let's go to number two. Notice that he truly honored God. Now, before he said some nice things about God, let's give him credit for that. But now he is truly honoring God as a worshiper, as a believer. And that's from uh, the second part, 34b and verse 35. Look, look what he says. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing compared to him, he means. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. How strong and powerful is he? He goes on. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, nobody can go to God and say, who do you think you are and why did you do that? You don't have that right. And he doesn't have any obligation to answer that request, does he? This is a God who is timeless. He's not just a God that uh, has a beginning like any of the idols that Nebuchadnezzar would worship. You remember the big idol that he made? And he said, when the music plays, everybody bow down and worship the idol or you'll be thrown in the fiery furnace. Let's think about it. We don't know exactly what that idol was, but it was one of Nebuchadnezzar's gods. But it didn't exist until Nebuchadnezzar made it. Isn't that interesting that their god does not uh, live everlasting to everlasting like our God does. They have a beginning. Someone made it and somebody set it up and said, now let's start worshiping this God. The other thing that uh, you'll notice about Nebuchadnezzar's gods before or previous to all of this is they really didn't have any power. They thought they did. It was demonic power. But uh, they kind of had the idea that there were a lot of gods and some gods were more powerful than others. And that's what happened whenever they would say, if the gods will be with us, we'll attack this country and we'll have success. Well, then they'd find out that their God wasn't adequate. Their God wasn't with them. Or they might find out in defeat that their God was weaker than the gods of the country they were trying to conquer. Or vice versa. If you got conquered, it was thought in those days that your God was non-existent or weaker than the God of the people who conquered you. And some gods would come into fashion and some gods would not. For example, in the Old Testament, you read a lot about Baal. You don't read about Baal so much in the New Testament because the Romans 
didn't really worship Baal. They kind of worshiped an evolution and a form of that, but they called their gods by different names. They had different forms. They had different functions. Gods, false gods, come in and out of fashion. Nebuchadnezzar said that the true living God is timeless. He's not created. He's not made by human hands. He doesn't have a start. He doesn't have a finish. He rules forever. He's supreme and he is sovereign and he's above all and he is separate. The word for that is holy. He is unlike anything or anyone else. He is holy and he's also irresistible. You try to fight him. You try to go against his will and you might as well stand in front of a steamroller and put out your puny little hand and try to stop it. It's not going to happen. He's also perfect in everything that he does and he is accountable to no one. First Samuel chapter two, verse 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father would go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And so here Nebuchadnezzar is going from a place of dishonoring God to honoring him. King Saul in uh, 1 Samuel, he went from a place of honoring God to dishonoring God, didn't he? And both of these men, both of these kings, both of these powerful people found out each in their own way who the true and the living God is, who the real boss is, in other words. And number three, notice that Nebuchadnezzar, he expressed humility and gratefulness. Verse 35, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Uh, this verse just drips with thankfulness and gratefulness as Nebuchadnezzar knows, knows that he didn't deserve this kingdom, that if he got what he deserved, he would still be an animal and then he would die and spend an eternity in hell. But God in his kindness and in his gracious graciousness has touched Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is thinking right. Nebuchadnezzar is seeing God exclusively as God for the first time. And then in addition to that, what does God do? He causes his counselors to come back to him. His kingdom is restored to him. That is an amazing thing because what kind of a person is going to submit to a king who's been living for seven years, almost a decade, like a wild animal? Why in the world would you do that? And you wouldn't except for God and God's grace restoring that. Reason came from somewhere outside of himself. We know where it came from. It came from God. The glory of his kingdom, his honor and splendor, it returned to him. But we have to add two words, by God. Nebuchadnezzar didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, didn't make it happen. It was given to him by God. We look at the words restored and the word added. He didn't gain it. 
He didn't take it. He didn't cause it to happen in any way. This is the work of a sovereign God. In James chapter four, verse six, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar got full of himself and God intervened. And what happened? He gives grace to the humble. And what happened to Nebuchadnezzar after the seven years? He was humble. He was humiliated, actually, I guess we could say. And what did God do in response to that? He gave him grace. And the grace restored his reasoning power, his understanding. It drew him to the true and the living God. And then in addition to all of that, he got his kingdom back, which is an amazing thing. And number four, notice that all things became new. Verse 37. How is Nebuchadnezzar different? Let's hear him speak. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways, justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Boy, there's a theology lesson for our day, for our nation, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar learned it, but oh, did he ever learn it the hard way. I wonder for those who are in positions of authority over us, if they are to come to know Christ, I wonder what road they're going to have to go down. I wonder what kind of a price they're going to pay. And of course, we know the answer is it costs everything to follow Jesus, doesn't it? But some people go down a rough path of humiliation in order to get there, like Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder. I pray for our nation and pray that our nation would be revived, that we would have an awakening and turn to God. But I wonder what it's going to take for America to turn to God. What kind of humiliation, what kind of trials are we going to have to go through before we actually do that? And we may not. We may never do that. But if we were, what would happen? What would it take to do that? I don't think it would be just an easy thing. I think it would take us down some very difficult paths. Notice with Nebuchadnezzar, there's a change in his worship. There is a change in his status. He's now a child of God. There's a change in authority. He doesn't see himself as being all authoritative. He understands it is from God. God gives and takes kingdoms away. And there is a change in relationship. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the God of heaven, the Most High God. Amazing. It's a reminder of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so when we think about being a new creature in Christ, it means our status has changed. Now, I heard a preacher say one time, if you're a new creature in Christ, it means that if you're struggling with the same sin after salvation that you were before, then you've never been saved. Well, that's nowhere near what that verse means. That verse is talking about a change, a newness of life. For one thing, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we have a new life. And that new life that we have is not just an extension of our life or an improvement of our life. It's the life of God that comes to us 
through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But there's also a change in relationship. I go from being a child of Satan to being a child of God. There's a change in the kingdom that I belong to. My citizenship changes. Paul said we are called and translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I have a new position. I'm seated with him, Ephesians chapter 2, in heavenly places. You think about all of the things that that means. And I also have a change in status. I go from being just a human to being a child of God. This is an amazing thing. Now, my life is reflecting that change, but not perfectly and not all at once. Have to learn to grow, have to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called being sanctified. And so this has nothing to do with, do you commit the same sins after salvation that you do before? It has everything to do with, are you new in the Lord and has your position and standing and state with God, has that changed? Because if it has, then that sin is going to be dealt with. God will discipline you. God will help you and God will empower you. You're a new creature in Christ. And this is a big, big change for Nebuchadnezzar. And so think about this in conclusion. Repentance, a change of heart leading to a change of life, and faith turning from sin to the Lord and submitting to Him have always been the way of salvation, whether it's for Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, or for you. That's the way it always works. And someone said one time, those he chooses, he changes. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Remember that song? And so we find here that Nebuchadnezzar is not the same old king. And Daniel has been consistent. Daniel has been a witness to the king. Daniel has glorified God in this whole situation and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for the steadfastness of Daniel. But when you look at Nebuchadnezzar, you see a guy who is brought from idol worship to worshiping the true and the living God. And oh, what an amazing change takes place in his life. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if that person in your family that you said, oh, I doubt they'll ever get saved. Well, don't count God out. Don't count God out. He can save Nebuchadnezzar's. He can save that person in your family. When you look at somebody in authority over you, it may be a boss, it may be a government official, it may be somebody who outranks you if you're in the military. God can save Nebuchadnezzar. He can save anybody. And so this is the hope that we have through our witness, <coughs> through our testimony of Christ. And notice Daniel didn't just live a life and hope that Nebuchadnezzar could guess what was different about him. Uh, Daniel was very clear where his power and where his ability to interpret dreams came from. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were very clear. We're not going to bow down to your image. We serve our God, and our God's able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we won't bow down in front of you. See, Nebuchadnezzar heard, and what he heard matched up with their lives. And I just want to say, Whenever our lifestyle is backing up what our lips have to say, that is a powerful, 
powerful combination. And when that happens, we will have great impact on other people, maybe even someone as impossible, quote unquote, as Nebuchadnezzar. This is what it means to serve a sovereign God. Don't ever quit praying. Don't ever give up. Keep being a witness and live a consistent life and tell the story of Jesus, the gospel, others will be saved. I hope this encourages you today and I hope it gladdens your heart and I pray that you will put these things into practice and uh, we're so thankful for people that come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord and we pray that more will indeed be saved and baptized and that we can disciple them in our own church and watch everything begin to multiply for the glory of God. Thank you for your time. Teachers, thank you so much for your teaching and for your love and for your ministry, for your prayers and all the work that you do to build up the body of Christ in your class. And thank you for those of you who are watching this to keep up with what we're doing. I appreciate it so very much. Pray for us and we'll look forward to seeing you again. God bless you.